We're going to be finishing up our First Thessalonians series. We've been going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We close it up today with basically Church 101. Um, it is one of the most practical, basic, straightforward passages that we've studied all year long. And so for some of you that have been in the church, you're going to be thinking, well, wait a second, I, none of this stuff is new to me. All right. Are you doing it? I think that's kind of the point, right? It's not, hey, I, I have never figured that one out. No, no, no. This is not about head knowledge. This is about transformation. Are you living it out? And as we go through that, it's a mental checklist. Am I doing what God asked me to do? So we're going to get into this. I entitled uh, part six of this series, A Functional Family. And I want to see if you can follow along with me on that. Also take out your bulletin. And I have a fill in the blank for you that I want to begin with. So let me just throw out a concept to you. Relationships matter and relationships take work. Are we all in agreement on this? Yes, they're very difficult. Whether it is a relationship that is in marriage, whether it's a relationship between siblings, whether it's a relationship with friends, if it's a relationship in church, all these things are hard. They're difficult. Why? Because along the way, things don't go the way you want them to go. What do you do then? What if you reach an impasse? What if you come to a place where you don't see eye to eye? What are we going to do? Part of what our job here at church is to do is to train up the saints to have tools to navigate through situations. But make no mistake, it is difficult. It is hard to do. And unfortunately, what we tend to do is if we get burned once, we avoid it like the plague. So, for example, imagine uh, you are told by your pastor, you need to make more uh, ladies, more girlfriends. And you say, well, that didn't go so hot for me in high school. And I said, well, you haven't been in high school for 37 years. And you said... Uh, it wasn't so great there. The girls were kind of snippy. They were super competitive. They all kind of looked at what I wore, blah, 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 blah. I never felt comfortable with them, so I've just decided not to engage with them. The destruction that does in your life uh, is extraordinary. Um, I want you to imagine this. Let's say a child goes up and touches the stove, and it burns them. And they said, I will never then... Get near that thing again. And you would think of how limiting that would be for the rest of their lives. If all they did was go back and reflect, that caused pain, I don't want to deal with it. Wouldn't you then say as a adult, a young adult, hold on, you've changed. You now have more tools to work with the stove. It will now become useful for you. If that child then said, nope, all I remember is the pain that it caused you would say, you know what, at some point, you need to grow beyond that. We need to grow up and realize it's not always the same. We've got to try and engage again. In the same way, I encourage you in relationships. I know that last time it didn't go well. I'm not even going to tell you this time it's going to go easy. But what I am telling you is that you've been growing this whole time. They're not the same. You're not the same. They have more tools. You have more tools. We need to utilize those and begin to build the relationships in our lives because we desperately need them. 
The fill in the blank in front of you is about as simple as I could possibly make it. And it is this relationships take work. If you forget that you will quit relationships take work when it's hard and when it's challenging, that's called normal. It's not, oh, this is difficult, it must be wrong. Hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. I don't know if you remember any of the stories about Jesus working with his disciples, but they didn't all get along. You all remember that? Right? It was kind of like these two guys were vying for this position, there was the inner three, and then everybody else, and one is a tax collector, the other is a zealot, which in normal life they'd kill each other. I mean, this was Jesus' crew that he lived with for three years. No, they didn't get along. No, it wasn't easy. They were all over each other's case all the time. But they had to learn to work through it. And that's what you do when you're family. Would you turn with me in 1 Thessalonians 5.12? In the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, page 837. I'm just going to read the first two verses, then we'll pray for the word and get started by tearing it apart and see what God has for us. First uh, Thessalonians 5:12. Here we go. Now we ask you, brothers, Paul says, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Sounds simple enough. Shouldn't we all just do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can never do these types of things unless, Holy Spirit, you empower us to do it and we stop quenching you. Father, as you begin to guide us and lead us and show us what it is to forgive and show us what it is to move on and show us what it is to repair, we ask that you would help us to do that. That you would give us a vision of what it would be like to bring back together and reconcile some broken relationships. Lord, also how to build new relationships and to reach out into the unknown, into the scary, and say, hi, my name is. Lord, we've never grown up from being little kids on the playground, scared to make friends. And I ask, Lord, that little by little you would introduce us to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we ask you, brothers, and this is a request on behalf of Paul and company, which is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who had spent some time setting up this young church in Thessalonica. They set it up and then they had to bail out. They were there, oh, maybe for six months or it's been six months. They were there for a very short amount of time. It's been six months since they saw him and they said, there's a couple of things we need to ask of you because when Timothy brought us back a report about you, you're doing amazing in so many areas. You are so loving and you are so full of joy, but there's some areas that you need to grow up. Now we ask you brothers, and he's going to say the word brothers a million times. He's already said it a million times and he's going to say it a million more. Why? It's not because he can't think of another term. It's because he's repeating to beat it into the ground to make a point. What's the point? Your family, and you can't escape it. I didn't ask whether you wanted to be family. I didn't ask whether or not the family was super functional. I didn't ask anything about that. What I said was, brothers, we're in this together, and we will suffer together, and we will thrive together. So whatever I'm asking of you, it is important that we engage with it for the greater whole so that we might be a functional family. Now, we ask you, brothers, 
To respect, and baked into that word in Greek is, and appreciate. I want you to respect and appreciate those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Who is this crew? They are the church leaders. Now, back, we're now back in the ancient church. We're now going way back. And they, in many churches, had not yet set up structures of elders and deacons and things like that. There was church leaders, people that were serving and being pastoral over the congregation. He said, I want you to respect and appreciate those that are over you, overseers, whatever that means. He calls them three different terms. He said, those that work hard among you. Have you noticed that he's really beating a certain drum in Thessalonica about working hard? I mean, it was over and over and over again. He keeps saying, what is your problem? When we were with you and set up the church, we worked hard. We worked hard physically. We worked hard emotionally. We worked hard spiritually. We were not a burden to you. We went in and we did everything we could to support you. Now, as we stepped out, we left you leaders that follow our example. I want you to respect and appreciate those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who are your spiritual leaders. And then he says what? And who admonish you. What's admonish mean? It's kind of an old school word, right? Admonish means to correct. I want you to respect and I want you to appreciate those who correct you. Is that easy to do? No, of course not. We hate those people. Right? What do you mean you're going to correct me? Who are you? Why are you going to correct me? What are you going to say something about my life? Who are you to say that? What, you got everything all together? I understand. I know all the feelings that are associated with it. Paul said, I'm asking you, respect them and appreciate them. That's kind of tough to do. And then he says, why? Hold them in the highest regard. That's a very extreme phrase in Greek. Hold them in high esteem, in love, like Christ loved. Why? Because of their work. Because of what they are called and asked to do. There's something called respecting the office that someone holds. There are certain things that I do and I feel empowered to do as the office of chief shepherd of this church. Yet when I look at it in terms of Lance, I go, why in the world would anyone want to do that? I understand there is a job that I am called to do. There is a job I am empowered by God to do. There is a job that I strive to do. It is a difficult job. But here's what's extraordinary to me. In this church, I am loved. In this church, I am respected and I am treated wonderfully. Now, do people disagree with me? Do people critique me? Of course they do. Do I have people coming in and challenging me? Yes. But that in no way diminishes the amount of love that is poured out by this congregation on me. I feel that this is absolutely being done to an extreme degree in this church for me. Here's my request of you. Please take that same spirit and minister to my other leaders with that. What do I mean? I mean that if we're talking about the three general pastors, me, Mark, Russ, 
in general, if you go and ask them, they feel extremely loved. If you go to my staff, they feel loved. Not extremely loved. There's challenges. Everyone starts barking at them, challenging them, getting in their face. If you go down to our leader teams, they feel friendly. (laughs) If you take it to our volunteer staff, it depends on the day. This breaks my heart. The idea that we would have attitudes towards the coffee's not ready that we would have an attitude of why didn't you even call me my kids crying now you didn't even call and we just start jumping down people's throats hold up respect them and care about them and love them because god asked them to do a task clearly a task you are not currently doing respect them and love them like you love me Because you treat me wonderfully. I just want you to know that they are working just as hard as I am. They are giving and sacrificing and wanting so badly to bless you. There is no room for disrespect. So, the Bible challenges us. We apply it to us. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. You go, I don't really like that person. Personally, you have a challenge with them, but understand what God has asked them to do and the requirements and the demands that are upon them and respect the office. Does that make sense? All right, let's move forward. Live in peace with each other. Easier said than done because we're going to have conflicts and we urge you brothers. Check this out. We urge you brothers. He's not talking about leadership anymore. He's talking about congregants. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about family members. So now these instructions are all launched to you and me as a man, not necessarily as a pastor, but just as a Christian in this church. This is what we need you to do. There was a specific problem in Thessalonica, so he hits it a little bit harder that we don't necessarily have here as much. But still, let's try to apply it. We urge you, brothers, warn, that same word is admonish, which means correct, warn those who are idle amongst each other, self-correction. One brother going to another brother and saying, you're out of line. What does idle mean? What's a somewhat of a complicated term. It originally came from the idea of a soldier who wouldn't stay in rank. And you say, well, why isn't he staying in rank? Well, that's why you have all these different meanings that fleshed out over it. Here's, in general, the idea. It can be careless, misconduct, being out of line, but mostly it means lazy and refusing to go along with the program or refusing to work. Those balloons are getting lower and lower. I'm just watching the whole string go down. This is awesome. All right. <laughs> yeah, I better hurry up. I've got to preach faster. <laughs> we urge you, brothers, warn those who are like that. Because it's not okay. You don't just have somebody and just go, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not going along. And there's just a rebellious spirit of going, forget it. I don't care. 
I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to be all about me. That's where other brothers and sisters come alongside and go, whoa, what? Well, we're family here. No, you don't do that. No, you don't just leech. That doesn't work, right? We do something different. He said, warn those who are idle. What else are we supposed to do to one another? Encourage the timid, the fearful, the easily discouraged. You know what the Greek phrase for it is? Those whose souls are small. Encourage those whose souls are small. There are some of us in this congregation that are just easily discouraged. It takes the littlest thing and boom, we're down in the dumps. There are some of us that are so um, fearful and worried all the time. And we're like the little high maintenance sheep. You know what I mean? The ones are kind of like, oh, my grass is kind of yellow. And uh, you're like, all right, well, it's kind of hard. And uh, all right, well, what, what do you need? Well, what's your grass like? And it's like, well, <laughs> my gra- you want to you switch grass? Is that what we're, we're talking? All right, that's cool. That's cool. Gosh, is it is it hot out here? Is it you know? And you're just like, all right, all right, little sheep grabbing by the ears. <laughs> no, right? All right, you're supposed to come alongside. There are some of us, man. We just have a hard time in life. We're supposed to come alongside and encourage those, and just say, come on, we can do this. What are you doing? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's do it, right? Sheep P90X. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Encourage the timid and help the weak. It can be translated, don't let them fall down. Don't let the weaker brothers and sisters fall down. Don't let the immature, the babies, fall down. Because they're new to this whole thing. Or they just aren't strong yet. For whatever reason. Now there's a certain level to where you go, you haven't been strong and it's been now, what, six years in the faith. Come on. There's a certain degree of accountability where you have to grow up and start figuring some stuff out. And there's nothing wrong with pushing them in tough love. However, there are some that are just new. They don't have their muscles developed yet. So you help them along. You just go, no, no, no. What what can I do with you? How can I help you? What we're trying to do is engage with each other. We must be doing that. And then he says, and be patient with everyone. Why do you got to be patient with everyone? Because everyone irritates us, right? Be patient with each other. Why? Because they're not like you and they do it different and they say things that you would never say. And as a matter of fact, sometimes this is translated, uh, be uh, slow to anger. Let have a long fuse when everybody else is doing something that is just irritating you like crazy. I had a gentleman who emailed me. Um, last week, and he said, the last two weeks, I've come out and my car is scratched. Someone has parked next to me and scratched into it two weeks in a row. I know it's just a car, but it's really frustrating. Okay, this poor guy, who's a young guy, who doesn't have a ton of money to go keep fixing his car, keeps getting rammed into by some people here. Okay, That's not nice, right? But the idea that he would come through with his email in such a loving, patient fashion is extraordinary for a young man. It wasn't a, I can't believe this, I hate this congregation. It was a, you guys are killing me, right? 
We have to be patient with each other. And the only way we can be patient is to have a spirit of forgiveness in our hearts. Consistently saying, all right, let's try this again. Let's try this again. And it's really hard. I know. I see it. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. This whole idea of non-retaliation is very much based in practicality. Remember, Jesus instructed and said, hey, 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 turn the other cheek. Why are we to turn the other cheek? Why should we be peaceful in non-retaliation for insult? Because we as Christians believe that we have a heavenly father who's going to take care of it. That's what you need to know. It's one thing to just go, well, I'm going to let them get away with it and they're never going to learn. Hold on. Who's in charge? Your dad's in charge. Let him take care of it. Um, it was this idea that I coached my daughter's soccer game yesterday. And we were going through the whole thing. And I noticed that the girls, just like halfway through the game, they all started to shut down. Something got in their heads. And I found out afterwards, uh, when we got done with the game, um, we've lost games before. We happened to lose this one by one goal. And I noticed that usually you do a little tunnel and the kids run through it. And it's exciting and all this stuff. The kids just walked off the field. And I was like, what in the world is going on? Well, come to find out, they felt they had heard the other team calling them names and making fun of them. And they were broken in spirit. And they were so angry and so frustrated. And they just couldn't stop talking about it. So I talked with the coach. I'm the assistant coach. And I talked to the coach. And I said, hey, do you have the other coach's email? Can you give him an email? He said, yeah, I know that their team seemed to be a little frustrated because we were being aggressive. And I said, all right. And he goes, well, I'll dialogue with them. So I had to tell all the girls, hold on, coach is going to handle it. Let it go. They were just constantly talking about it. Then they would talk about it with each other. And then when they talked about it with each other, that made them even more mad. Because then they learned other stuff that possibly may have been said. And it just kept going around and around and around. And I kept telling them, you guys, knock it off. Let it go. We're going to handle it. But we have to handle it as adults. This is the same thing about being in church and dealing with relationships. The reason why we can turn the other cheek and forgive and let things go is because our dad's on it. He's on task. No, people don't just get away with everything. That doesn't work. Because if they're believers, God will discipline. If they are non-believers, they already have a bigger problem heading towards them. You understand what I'm saying? God... We'll take care of it. Let it go. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. That's brothers and sisters. And what? Everyone else. That's everybody outside. Okay, so what's our mandate? Our mandate is to get along. Our mandate is to get involved with each other. I've said this before, so it's not new, but the reason why this church is so intensely peaceful is because none of us know each other. I would love to say, man, we're all awesome Christians. I have no idea. You don't even know who's sitting next to you, right? And so you don't even have a chance to be irritated yet. You're all going, man, this is a wonderful church, very peaceful, all right? Because you have no idea that that other person thinks that your shirt is ugly. 
You don't know what's going on in their head. You don't know them. You didn't get a chance to get engaged with them and get irritated. We're so disconnected. That's where much of our peace comes from. That is not right. We've got to get intertwined. We've got to get involved. We've got to learn who's sitting around us. We've got to figure this stuff out. And yes, will it be more messy? Will it be more management? Certainly it will be, but it would be more healthy. And he said, be joyful always. Be joyful always. A couple things you need to know about that. Number one, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. That means do whatever is necessary to figure it out. Be joyful always. Shortest verse in the New Testament. Not Jesus wept. In Greek. Everyone's like, technically Lance wept is shorter than... I get it. We're talking about Greek. Thank you. Good clarification. Shortest verse in the whole New Testament. It's a command, and it's for you. What do you mean be joyful always? How am I supposed to do that? My circumstances stink. Stop. Joy is not based on circumstances. Happiness is based on circumstances. That's different. He didn't say, be happy always. He said, be joyful always. What's the difference? Joy looks deeper. Joy looks further. Joy looks broader. It means that you look out and realize what God has done for you. It means that you realize that Jesus has secured for you a future. It means that tomorrow, meaning eternity, is better than today, that things are moving towards being fixed. It means that you realize Jesus Christ is still on the throne, and regardless of what your circumstance looks like, that's not something to allow to dominate your life. Joy is a settled condition knowing that God is good. And God is with you and that God is on your side. That joy is immovable because it's based in God. It's not based in anything else. Now, our circumstances may make us smile or frown. I get that. But along the way, we must have a settled sense of it is good. You know, the whole kind of it is well with my soul kind of concept. Right. That. I think there needs to be a big perspective shift for some of us because we look at our lives and we just get bummed out. And then something worse happens and you look backwards and go, man, it wasn't that bad back then. There needs to be a little healthy dose of it could be a lot worse, right? And you go, what do you mean? How can it be a lot worse? I just lost everything. Come here. I'll kick you in the shin. Because now you lost everything and your leg hurts. You understand what I'm saying? There's a certain degree to where God has rescued you from a lot of things. I just lost my house. But you didn't lose your family, did you? Well, I just did it. Hold up. I'm in chronic pain. And you know what? That's enough to drive anyone insane. I get it. But you know what? You're not headed towards hell. There needs to be a complete reshift in what's valuable and to realize God is good and he has continued to rescue you and he has continued to bless you even in the midst of difficulty you still have friends you still have people that pray for you you still have a certain amount of love you still have this yes I know the rest of it is difficult but do you understand that if something else shifted in your life it could be worse and God is holding back the dam from breaking. 
Be joyful always. Pray continually. That means never stop the connection. Continual connection with God at all times. Interceding for others. Talking about your life. Sharing your life. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is what I was talking about. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will? That you might glorify Him. When you thank God in the midst of difficulty, glory is being sent up. Worship is being sent up. When you completely shut down and all is bitterness and all you talk about is how God is bad, that is not worship, not glory. And then it gets into something weird in verse 19. So let me just read uh, 19, 20, and 21 to get a context, and then we'll talk about it. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. All right, let's talk about what this means. Uh, first of all, why is the Holy Spirit referred to as fire? Um, there are maybe a lot of deep reasons. We can go back to the pillar of cloud and the pillar of what? fire we can talk about the presence of god on mount sinai we can talk about the purification of fire we can talk about a bunch of different things but let's talk about three very practical things that the holy spirit does in our life the holy spirit provides a certain amount of warmth to our cold souls he is called the paraclete the one that walks alongside he is the comforter or the helper jesus said it's better that i go and you think how in the world could it be better that the son of god walks away from me because i'm sending you the holy spirit he will indwell you he will warm your soul and he will walk with you at all times you can't shake him see jesus lived in one town and you may have lived in another the holy spirit lives in your town you understand what i'm saying so first of all, the Holy Spirit provides warmth. The Holy Spirit also provides fuel, just as a lot of times as you heat up things and it creates this combustible engine idea, so too does the Holy Spirit empower you and provide the fuel for you to do what you need to get done. Likewise, the Holy Spirit provides light for guidance. Would you agree? Just as you strike um, a light where it would be the old torch, where the fire would provide you light in the darkness in the same way the Holy Spirit does. So we could go on all day and talk about why the Holy Spirit is referred to as fire. But what you must know is He is valuable. He is consuming. He's what we need. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. How can you do that? He's God. How are you ever going to shut down God? Because he has agreed, well I should say he's decided to operate with humankind under certain conditions. The Holy Spirit operates like this. I would love to do amazing things in your midst. I would love to work in your life. I would love to transform you into the image of God's Son. I would love to bring in certain things into your life that will transform you. I would love to work with you and work through you. However, I will not do that if you don't want me there. That is an intriguing concern. Why? Because a lot of times we don't want him there. How do we know? Because of the presence of sin in our lives. Sin will resist the Holy Spirit. Rebellion will resist the Holy Spirit. Disunity, broken relationships, will resist the Holy Spirit. You can shut him down. Why? Because he'll back off. 
You're not crushing him. He's far more powerful than you can ever imagine. What he's doing is stepping back and saying, I'm not going to sit there and force my way in. I'm not going to sit there and play this game with you. You don't want to do anything with me. You don't want to walk in this scenario. You don't want to surrender to the Lord. You want to be your own person and do your own thing. You know what? Go ahead. We need to understand that we can shut down what the Holy Spirit's doing. My great prayer for this church is that we do not. We must allow room for the Holy Spirit. Now, when Paul is talking about quenching the Holy Spirit for them, he's talking about a specific area. This area moves on. We can see it in context. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. How would you do that? Verse 20. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not treat prophecy. What's a prophecy? What are you talking about? All right, this is where we need to get a little bit of understanding. In modern day, there is a challenge with what we do with this idea of prophecy. Paul talks a lot about it. He talks a lot about it in Corinthians. Prophecy has two definitions, but ultimately it all comes back to the same thing. It means talking for God. Now, it has two elements to it. One is foretelling, which means you know God's word and you're proclaiming it. You're operating as a prophet. Why? Because prophets talk for God. So when I preach the word of God, I'm acting in a prophetic manner by proclaiming what God said. That's not magical. You understand what I'm saying? That's very practical and straightforward. However, prophecy also is foretelling what God is going to do. Now, do you understand that the same thing? Because to God, time doesn't matter. So whether or not God's talking about today or God's talking about yesterday or God's talking about tomorrow, it's God's thoughts. And if you're talking on his behalf, it's called prophecy. The big battle comes in in today's world because there are two sides of this argument. The cessationists, which say what? The whole idea of foretelling or speaking for God or still getting revelation from God where God would talk through people. Outside scripture, not in, not in, no one ever agrees that you can conflict with scripture. Do you understand? But whether or not God is still communicating to his people, whether or not God does the miraculous, whether or not God still operates through the Holy Spirit's gifting, such as tongues, healing, stuff like that, on one side of the line are the cessationists. They say, no, that was for a practical purpose of setting up the church. God set it up, locked it down, the apostles died. We're good to go. We have everything we need. Let's just move forward. That's the cessationist argument. On the other side, it's, no, he may have tailored it different, but all those things are still in force. They're just used slightly differently today, or maybe even in the same way, because God is still continuing to build his church. Now, where you stand on that side, I don't know. I do not stand on the cessationist side. I do not stand on, it's all done. However, I find great difficulty in finding it operating in a healthy manner. I have a great difficulty in finding out what God really wants. And so I'm consistently pursuing the Lord for this church and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want? And so we continually chase after him and say, are you being honored? Do you have room? However, regardless of where you are in that argument, everyone agrees that in the early church, things were a little weird. In the early church, they didn't have the New Testament. 
I know we read all that and we go, well, this is really cool. Why don't they just quote scripture? Because they didn't have the New Testament. It's the church that just got started. Imagine that Jesus Christ just died 50 years ago. No one has published anything. We're all out there sitting there going, all right, we're Christians. What do you guys want to do today? Right? I mean, it's not like we're going to say, what, we're going to study the Old Testament. What about all the Holy Spirit stuff? What about, because the Pentecost just hit. What about all the stuff about what we're supposed to do as a body of Christ? What about the fact that now you have Gentiles in the mix? If you're reading Old Testament, you're mostly focusing on the Jewish side of things. What does it mean for us today? What is the new covenant? What did Jesus do on the cross? What does that mean for us? How does all this work out? You're literally left with cricket, cricket, cricket. So you show up at church. All right, you guys, welcome to Bridgeway. What are we doing? And they're like, I don't know, preach something. Like what? Let's just sing a hymn. All right, cool. Let's go ahead and sing a hymn. Get out of here. All right. Because the idea was you didn't have anything. At that time, this was still being compiled and God would end up moving through the power of the Holy Spirit and giving people in the congregation direct revelation from God. How weird is that? Hey, Sister Mabel, what you got? God says that we need to be doing this. Whoa, really? Yeah, just came to me. You're a little off yourself. I'm not so sure that I trust you, actually. You're weird. (laughs) Along the way, all these things are being downloaded as the church was being built up. And you can imagine it immediately went in to a conflict. Why? Because wherever God is doing something amazing, who else shows up? Satan. So Satan's going to start bringing in all this other garbage to try to create crossfire. So now everyone's confused. All right. So when Brother Jim stands up and says, God, thus saith the Lord, he pops off in church and says that. And then you got another guy, Brother Mark, is sharing over here. And you're starting to see a little bit of oddity. And you're like, wait, who's legit? Was it, was it Mark or was it Jim? You can imagine the frustration and the fear and the scariness that was going on. And so it's likely that the leaders in the Thessalonica church went, everyone just shut up. We're not doing this anymore. No, no more, oh, I got a word from the Lord. Forget that. It's causing too many problems. Let's just shut it down. Paul goes, that would be easier. However, that would be wrong. No, we're not doing that. What we're doing is we're trying to discern. So what I need you to do is allow the prophecies to continue. However, I need you to what? Test everything. There are some things that we do know. Paul and his team were disseminating that information. The apostles were disseminating that information in Jerusalem. Test what you know. And if it conflicts with what God has said that we know, throw it out. Hang on to what is good, ditch the rest of it, because it's bogus. Now you can imagine, I know a lot of people think that it would be cool to have certain spiritual gifts. Prophecy is a really nerve-wracking one, in my opinion. Because if you go old school and you go into the Old Testament, what happens if you're wrong? I throw a rock at you and you die. You understand, there's a little bit of nervousness that's attached there. Okay, so I get it. I mean, it's a weird 
way to handle things. But God was pumping in information like crazy into the new church to build them up. All right, let's keep moving forward. It says, test everything, hold on to the good. Verse 22, avoid every kind of evil, keep pure, keep focused. And then he says, um, I just lost my place. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Make you like Jesus. Make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, that means all of you, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back. And then you look at all that and you feel this tremendous weight. How in the world am I going to be blameless? How in the world am I going to do this Christianity thing? Man, I want to quit now. I don't want to do all this. I don't want to constantly go, I got to rejoice always. I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm sitting here looking through all these practical things and going, I'm just a man. There's no way I can handle this. Look at the next phrase. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Anybody know Philippians 1.6? He who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful to complete it. Whose idea was your salvation? Yours or God's? God's. Whose idea is it for you to look like Jesus? God's. Who is the one that is ultimately empowering you to become like Christ? God. All right, it's God's plan. It's God's whole idea. So he's clearly going to finish it. And when God starts something, he's pretty good at getting it done. As a matter of fact, he will create you as his masterpiece and he will get done what he needs to get done. Sometimes in spite of you, as a matter of fact, most times in spite of you, where he can even utilize your failure and sin in your sanctification process. Oh, I'm such a loser, blah, blah, blah. We know. However... God is working with raw materials and building something extraordinary in you, and he will finish it. It says this. Let's close up with this. Brothers, pray for us. It's likely that Paul at this point kind of took the pen away from the secretary there, and he said, hold on, I've got to get this one. Hey, brothers, pray for us. Paul always asks for prayer. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you're the apostle Paul. You're sustained by the Holy Spirit. It's the only reason why Paul was a big deal, Right? Paul's just a guy. Paul with the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest evangelists that have ever seen the face of the earth. Paul with the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest missionaries that ever hit the earth. Paul without the Holy Spirit is just a guy named Saul that did stupid things. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so who you are is regular guy, regular lady. You with the Holy Spirit are extraordinary. That's how it works. Pray for us, because we need it. We believe in the power of prayer. Through the prayer of the saints, doors open, things change, ministry goes out, angels respond, prayer matters. Brothers, pray for us. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. You. All right. Real simple, I, I think we all got this one, right? Depending on your culture, a lot of times it's the whole, you know, when I was in Uruguay, it was a whole kiss, kiss kind of thing. And it's super, it's kind of a connection thing. And then in our culture, the whole, you know, uh, American kind of Puritan, whoa, don't get near my personal space, shake my hand, what's up? 
Okay, so we do that. It's kind of a shake your hand thing. It means be loving towards one another. Greet each other with a, hey, we're family kind of attitude. And then he closes with this brutal challenge. Verse 27, I charge you before the Lord. Paul doesn't say that very often. He just said, I swear you to oath by God. Uh Uh-oh, now he's about to say something serious. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read out loud to all the brothers. Why would he have to be that strong? Because somehow, someway, someone's going to want to hold it back for whatever reason. He said, no, you don't understand. God's talking. You don't understand. You don't just get to pick and choose. This is not a suggestion. This is the word of the Lord. Read it. Everybody gets it. Because there's some things that need to be fixed in your church that are not going right. Some of you leaders will want to hide it. Some of you will want the leaders to hide it. We're not hiding anything. Let them read the mail. Then he closes off, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May you live as if Jesus Christ on the cross matters. May you live in the new covenant. May you live knowing that you are forgiven. May you live knowing that when God looks at you, he sees his son. Let's close with this thought. This place, Bridgeway, needs to become more and more like a family. It needs to become more and more your family, whatever that means. For some of you, that means showing up more. You're doing the kind of hit and miss, I just go to church when it's convenient. Stop that. You go to church because it's important, right? Some of you, it means showing up to more events. There's stuff going on, you need to be there. Some of you, it means making friends here. And that's scary, but it's necessary. Some of you, it means serving. Some of it means getting in a small group and not being so solo. Some of you, it means stop being prickly and hard to get along with. Right? Fix your personality, it stinks. Some of you, it means quit being so shy. Get out there and make a friend. Whatever it means to you, you've got to join the family here. Because we need you so desperately. We cannot just have you come and go we need you to come invest and help us change amen let's close in prayer heavenly father thank you for today thank you that you would dare to give us your very words to study that father whether it's through the instrument of paul or his secretary and how he was communicating i don't understand all that i just know holy spirit you wanted us to know something and you made sure we got the mail We treat it seriously. We treat it as if it is your commands, Father. And we submit ourselves under that teaching. May you be glorified in this church, in our families, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.